I like that part that said to do what must be done. Anybody besides me so glad he changed. Yeah. Oh, wow, my Lord. I'm so glad. Yeah. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful change. Can you feel it? I can feel it. He done went all the way back to black history. <laughs> Yeah, she stopped because she wanted to, not because I got up. I was good with it. I need to hear this sometimes. Lord have mercy. We uh, have a sermon series. that we want to start this month. And it's entitled, Family Matters. Which, of course, has two meanings from my perspective. First being that there are issues within the family that we need to talk about. How many of y'all know that's true? And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about church family, too. So there are family matters. And then it means family matters. Family makes a difference. It's important. And so as we delve into these next few sermons, my prayer is that both of those meanings will be highlighted. You'll get... some instruction, some information, some encouragement from all of that. This first message comes from the Old Testament. And I, and I struggle with the title for this one, not the subject, not the subject, comes from I'm going to use as a central place of discussion, springboard from Genesis chapter 25. And I'm going to start reading for you at the 24th verse. <clears throat> and then I'm going to read through the 28th verse. So 25. Verses 24 through 28. I hear pages turning. I haven't said that in a long time. If you got it, say amen. <laughs> we used to say that every Sunday. And if you don't have it, not yet. When we did responsive readings. But now we do digital. Things change. And 
the Bible reads, the scripture reads, verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they called him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. I'm going to stop reading right there. My conflict on themes for this message. Initially, I was going to just talk about we don't talk about have the thing. Yeah. For those of you that won't work for, today we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Don't get, con don't get concerned, Deltas. The elephant in, in the room. Many of you might not be familiar with that term. Doesn't have anything to do with Alabama. No big Al in this one. Terminology, the term, the phrase, the elephant in the room has been used as a euphemism for not talking about things that are obvious or ignoring the things that need to be talked about. And so if you will picture a room full of people and as the picture shows there is, they are sitting there but between them is an elephant. And the people in the room talk about a lot of things but nobody ever talks about the elephant. In fact, sometimes people have to look around the elephant because the elephant is in the way. When people get up, they have to step around the elephant because the elephant is in the way. But because they don't want to cause a disruption, because they don't want to cause, I'm going to use the term conflict, but I think it's not appropriate because the elephant is the conflict but because they don't want to cause conflict or break the, un the peace such that it is we don't talk about it. we don't talk about 
Somebody's been watching Encanto. Yeah. And if somebody brings up the problem of the elephant, the first thing people say is, we don't talk about. Or they say, what elephant are you referring to? I think the elephant in the room is a great metaphor. Good picture of family secrets that we don't talk about. Don't sit up straight. Well, yeah, because I'm coming down your lane today because guess what? Everybody's got secrets. Everybody's got stuff in their family that they are less than proud of that they don't tell folk about, but that shapes the family in ways you can't imagine that affects families for generations. And you have people wondering in the family, why is it thus and so? But we don't talk about it. And that creates burdens on you individually and on the family as a whole. Family secrets are not things that no one knows about. They're just things that no one talks about. And the fact that you don't talk about it creates the problems. No one talks about it. No one admits it. And especially outside the family. Because you would be Deceiving yourself if you think that your family secret is just in your family. Yeah, oh yeah, people outside your family know about stuff in, 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 in your family. Can I, can I tell you why I know? Because you know about stuff in other folks' family. Yeah, while it may be a secret internally, not so to some people, to some individuals, it's not a secret externally. Some, some secrets revolve around individuals and you don't know about it. Come on now, my dad drank too much. My mom keeps spending too much money. My mom and dad argue about it all the time. That's all we got at home. I come home every day and they fuss about it. We broke. We filed bankruptcy two, three times. My sister has anorexia. My brother is addicted to pornography. Or video games. Yeah which can be addictive. Other secrets involve family relationships. There is abuse in the family. Siblings are cruel to one another. There is incest in the family, but we don't talk about 
the elephant in the room. Some secrets are so bad that they would horrify you if you knew about them or anybody knew about them, which is why we don't talk about them. I'm talking about not just, we, you know, scintillating. We talk about sexual abuse. But even more dangerous and even more harmful is, as, even as harmful, is emotional abuse. Others can be more subtle. Yeah, just subtle, like just coldness in the house. Nobody in my house is emotional. We never hug. There's never any expression of love towards anybody. I can leave the house and no one would notice. Nor is there any greeting when I come home. We just don't know how to express love. I see other families expressing love. I hear my friends on the phone when they leave and they say, all right, I'll see you later, love you. That don't happen at my house. Even if I say I love you, it's met with nothing on the other end. Now, let me say this to you, so because I want you to understand when we're talking about this. The Bible talks about the issue of family privacy, too. There are some things that are just private. May not have always been discussed in that way as privacy. Y'all probably got it the way I got it growing up, and that was with a stern look and the conversation what goes on in this house stays in this house. You knew that to me, don't go outside talking about anything, but I came to lift the veil of hell this morning and tell you that there are some things that have to be talked about. Some things you know in your spirit are not right. And you need to, watch this, tell somebody what's going on. Somebody's got to be the one to talk about the issue. But privacy is important. It's important that we be able to maintain some conversations within the home. That's important for intimacy. It's a double-edged sword, though, because... To consider privacy bad limits us ever being fully intimate with one another. And so there has to be some level of intimacy. Any questions of privacy ultimately will get to what you trust, who you trust, what you believe in. And it's even more difficult now with technology because that which was once hidden can now be brought out with the phone camera pointed in the wrong direction. Oh, oh y'all know Y'all know what I'm talking about now. See, all these folk getting caught talking about other folk and calling them other names, dogging their racial identity, calling folk the N-word. They were saying all that before iPhone 8. Yeah, they were doing all that. Before you got the latest technology, now 
They're still doing it. They just getting caught doing it. That's the difference. Young men being beaten and killed on the street didn't just start. We just started videoing it. They're not telling because they suddenly had a pain of conscience. No, they're not, they're not outing these, these people who are bad at what they do, no matter what profession they're in. The reason why it's being discussed is because we know now. That's the difference. And that's the same thing. It's not limited to just business affairs or community affairs. It's in your house, too. The reason why people are now, in some respects, having courage to come home is because that little phone, you got your daughter for Christmas, that she just talking and looking at TikTok and using it to Snapchat with her friends. She now is smart enough to use as a weapon against you when you beat her mom. Because she can videotape that. You don't know enough about technology to know that you've been recorded. And so we don't talk about, no, but you do. Unknowingly, the issues become important, which is why any parent who understands the concept of privacy better understand technology. Because everything you know, everything you hold dear in your home, whether it's right or wrong, can be broadcast and put in the street. So be careful. But in order for us to develop relationships with people and a sense of a social self, we got to be able to have some degree of privacy. I got to be able to talk to Karen about things that nobody else in the world knows. And I have to be able to do that in a way that no one else, that I have an expectation that no one else will find out. That's the only way she can know me and we can know one another. This is essential to us being intimate with one another. Intimacy is not simply physical. Intimacy is emotional as well. And when she comes to know me in that way, that's the bond that is strengthened between us. That's privacy. But there are very things, there are things in life that shouldn't stay private. There are things that are raggedy from the get-go. There are things that are messed up from inception that should not stay private, and they create problems. And this is the elephant in the room that I'm talking about. Yeah, unhealthy alliances is what we're talking about in scripture. Can I talk to you a minute about uh, uh, Isaac and Rebecca? They were put together in a prearranged marriage. Yeah, Abraham was about to die and he was concerned, Deborah, because his boy, Isaac, you know, the one that he had prayed for, the one that God gave his wife, Sarah, at her old age, that boy's about 40 years old now, Michelle, he wasn't thinking about getting married. He worried about him. He said, I got to find somebody for this boy, but there's nobody around here but these heathen folk, because God put me in this heathen land, and I don't want my boy marrying one of these heathen women. So he called his senior servant in, and he said, I want you to do me a solid, all right? He said, swear to me that you're going to go to my homeland, and I want you to bring back somebody from my clan, some folk I know about, bring her here so he can marry her. And so his servant swore to him, 
forecast that he would do it and he made the journey, but he didn't just go. He went stacked. He went with 10 camels and the camels were full of treasure and jewels and he went to the land and he got there and he was tired. And he said, Lord, please pray. Lord, please help me to be successful in this mission that my, my master sent me on. And that is to find, um, to find a wife for his son. I should tell you this too. Uh, he asked his master, Abraham, Abraham, he said, well, what if I go there and I find somebody and she doesn't want to come back with me? Yeah. And Abraham said, well, if you do and God doesn't identify someone, you're released from your obligation towards me. This is scripture. Now you start around the 24th chapter of, uh, of, of Genesis and you can read this whole story and follow it through. And so he went and he did that. He, and he got there to the well and he timed his visit to the well perfectly. He got there about the time that women came out to get water for the family for the day. And he prayed, Lord, if you got somebody here that will fulfill my quest, then let her come up to me and offer me a drink of water. And if she gives me a drink of water, double down on that by letting her also offer to water my camels. And so the women came out and he's standing there. I guess he was trying to look as thirsty as he could, you know. It's hot out there. He probably kept <coughs> doing this or something. And all of a sudden, Rebecca came out. And he immediately saw that she was lovely to look at. And so the scripture says this, now I didn't make this up. The scripture said he moved towards her. In other words, he trying to help God out a little bit. So he moves toward her. And Rebecca being brought up the way she was, sees a stranger and she does what a good of, she said, can I offer you something to drink? His heart quickens. And she said, yes. And he quickly took that to drink. And, and when he took that to drink, she then, of her own volition, turns to him and says, I will also draw enough to water all your camel. And he started praising God. Thank you, Lord. You have answered the prayer that I had. At that time, he starts putting on the ritz. The scripture says he takes out a gold nose ring and gives it to her. And then he takes two gold bracelets and puts them on her arm. And then he asks, is your father at home? To which she says, let me take you home and you can meet my folks. And she does. And of course, when she gets home and she's blinged out, different than she was when she came. Come on now, if you ain't paying attention. When they come home, you better know who putting those rings and bracelets on their arm. When she comes home and she's blinged out, her brother Laban, who becomes a central part of this story later on, Laban said, where you been? And where you get all that from? And that's when she tells the whole story. The servant comes in and validates the story that this is why I've been sent here. And then he says, well, come on in. Welcome to our home. We got enough provender for you and your, your, your camels to stay the night and we can feed you. And he said, the servant said, I'm not going to eat anything until you understand that I need to know if my mission has been successful. And so he told him the story. And when he finished the story, he says, 
will she go with me to become Isaac's wife? Now listen to me, Isaac is nowhere around. All of this is happening away from him, all right? This is what's called an arranged marriage, an arranged marriage. To make a long story short, she ends up going back with them. And they are, the Bible says, when she came, Isaac was initially attracted to her immediately. And he takes her, watch this, and he puts her in his mother's tent because his mother is no longer living. Grief, like that, That's, this is important. Isaac is mourning his mother. Rebecca comes along and he puts her in his mother's tent. In other words, while she's coming to him as his wife, she immediately becomes a replacement for mama. Y'all don't hear me. They said they liked each other, they loved each other, but here is an emotional need I have and you're fulfilling it. Now, how do I know this is problematic? Watch this, step two. They were married for 20 years before they had a baby. Oh, oh, 20 years before the scripture that I read you came out. Before the twins come on the scene, 20 years. How do I know that? Because didn't I tell you that Abraham sent the servant off when Isaac was 40? And we started reading this scripture and it says that Isaac was 60 years old before they were born. 20 years has just been him and Rebecca. No baby for 20 years, all right? And then come these two, Jacob and Esau. Conflict already because Isaac after 20 years, well, really not 20, 40 years of adulthood, he said in his way, he take long hunting trips and he leaves his wife who wasn't from really around there to her own devices. Yeah, there's, there is some disconnect between the two of them when it comes to connecting emotionally. They are emotionally distant, but physically together. And emotional distance and physical togetherness can create problems. What problems does it do? Well, when the twins were born, it was perfect because one latched onto one and another latched onto the other. It just so happened that Esau was the one who liked outside. Perfect for his dad. Raised him up to be a woodsman, a huntsman. And the Bible says clearly he loved Esau. But it said, watch this now. This is almost a first day hit on Jacob. It is one, I think the writer was trying to be politic, but it says that Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, which basically said he was a houseboy. Not a mama's boy, but it said a houseboy. Like staying in the tents, and he did what mama liked to do because he was under mama's skirts all the time. And guess what? Scripture says, Rebecca loved Jacob. Here we go. There is division in this family. They don't talk about the issues that need to be talked about. The issue in 
this family. The secret in this family is the secret that's in a lot of families today. Watch this now. If I step on your toes, just say out, you play favorites with your children. You play favorites with your children, and guess what? They know it. They know it. They know how to work you. They know how to get what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and it creates problems in your house, and not just problems in your house while they're in your house. It lasts throughout their lives unless somebody steps in and deals with the elephant, but we don't talk about those issues. So how do you deal with that issue? And if I go on, Lord knows I could probably preach this family all month and all the issues that came about from this family. Who knows? Maybe I will stick on it, but that isn't what the Lord has me doing right now because next Sunday, I hope the Lord will let me preach about alternative lifestyle. Alright? But, but I want you to know, and it's not what you think. Alright? I want you to know that there's much in Scripture that comes with having favoritism in your house. I, I, I know, I know you say, it's easy for me to talk to that one. They, they, they don't push against me like the others. I, I know you can come up with every reason. Uh, his personality is more like mine. <laughs> I only have to tell her to do something one time. The other one, I have to tell them, write it, tell them again, help them, push them, beat them, and then they might do it. And all I'm talking about is get up. <laughs> yeah. And if the day starts like that, you know the rest of the day is going to be problematic and that's the difference in, 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 in that. First thing you got to do when there is a problem like this in the house, you got to diagnose the conflict. What's the problem? Because the problem is with the parents. The problem is with the parents, not the children. No, 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 no. Every child has a right to have their own personality. They don't have to have the personality you want them to have. They have the right to be themselves, and that right does not mean they have to be a mini you. Because what we do is spend most of our time trying to form them into little bitty us's. And when they won't fit in the mold of being little us's, we get upset. And that creates problems for them, but the problem ain't the child, the problem is yours. Our job is to nurture them, to identify what God has gifted them to do, support them in the areas that they need supporting, encourage them in the areas that they do all right, and then step back and watch God do what he does. Instead, what we do is we try to fix them and fit them into the idea that we have that they ought to be, and it creates problems for them. So what if she's normally quiet and you're not? Let her be. So what if she, he louder than everything and you're not? Teach him how to have 
inside voice, let him be. The world needs loud folk and quiet folk. Yeah, there's a balance. Isaac and Rebecca's arranged marriage fit the occasion for their father, Abraham, but it did not allow them to bond emotionally. And because they never bonded emotionally, it created problems with their children. And because they had some stuff in them, because Rebecca was a woman living in a patriarchal society, which meant she had no power except that which came through her husband, she had to learn how to deal when he wasn't around, and she had to learn how to do stuff that he might not have done, but she thought was important, which means she learned how to manipulate. Oh, 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 yeah, she learned how to manipulate to make sure the house could be run because Isaac wasn't caring about the house. All he wanted to make sure was his axe was sharp, his bowls were out there. He could go hunt when he wanted to. He didn't care about the servants. She had to. And the servants soon learned that if they didn't want to do something, all they had to do was get with Master Isaac when he got home. And so she had to learn how to manipulate in order to get the things run. And guess who was in the tents watching her manipulate? Jacob. His name, by the way, means deceiver. Uh, one, one, one writer says it means heel grabber because he came out holding his brother's heel. There's another part of his birth that's in scripture. It says that the younger one will dominate the older one. Yeah, that's a common theme in scripture that the young brother ends up being the ruler over the older brother. That's a problem. It's a problem in life that becomes an issue. Has, people have issues with that. And that's what happens in this situation. Jacob, in all his giftedness, still has a moral problem in that he alive, he got to. And he does it under the skirts of his mother. First thing he did was lie, caught his brother who was as emotional as his father, and he stole his birthright. Birthright was what a man had. If I'm the eldest son, when daddy dies, I get to run everything. Everything passes to me as the eldest son. Jacob convinced his brother to sell him his boat, his uh, to sell him his birthright, <laughs> basically. For a bowl of stew. Brother came in from hunting, was famished. Said, give me some something to eat. And he says, well, why? Why do I have to give you basically what I'm cooking here? And he says, because I feel like I'm about to faint. Give me something to eat. And he said, well, will you give me your birthright for? And his brother, probably not as swift as, he, as, as Jacob, said, yeah, man, I'll give you my birthright for it. Just give me a bowl. Gave him the bowl, something to eat, which meant that it, 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 the Bible says that, that Esau gave away his birthright, that he thought it was not important enough. Now, everybody in the family would have known that this happened, that the eldest son has given his right to be leader away. Everybody would have known that. The servants would have known that. And you know Jacob was probably not savvy enough not to say it, and he probably reminded his brother of it all the time. And so guess who would have been upset behind this? Isaac. 
Because now Isaac is stuck with giving his youngest son everything that he has left. And if that wasn't bad enough that he was deceived into giving it to him, his mama doubled down on it because Isaac got older and was blind. Could not see anything in front of him. People came in front of him, had to describe who they are. He heard their voices. One day he called his eldest son Esau in and he said, Esau, go out and hunt something. Because he said, you know, I like that dreamland barbecue. Go get me some of that. All right. I don't just want any kind. Go get the kind you know I like. And so Esau struck out and his four by four down to dreamland to get him some, some barbecue. And while he was gone, oh, and his daddy said, and when you come back, I'm going to give you my blessing. The father blessing is what seals the deal on what happened. It's almost like signing his will away to it. And so Esau takes off. And while he's taken off, he doesn't know that his mama's been ear hustling and heard the whole conversation. And so she says, when Esau takes off, Jacob, come here. Go in there real quick and pull out down in the freezer. I got about three racks of real. Pull them out real quick. Go in there and, and, and warm them up and bring them to your dad. It's essentially what she does. Warm them up. You know how he likes it and bring it in here to him. And your dad is going to give you his blessing. And Esau, knowing it was wrong, knowing it was wrong, he said, but mama, if I go in there and do this and he finds out that I'm not Esau, he will curse me. And she said, because she thinks she's more important than God, she said, let the curse be on me. I'll deal with the curses. You just go do what I tell you to do. And he did. And he said, well, how about going to fool him? She said, go in there and get your brother's clothes out the hamper. Put your brother's clothes on so you'll smell like him. And bring his clothes in here. And then put on this lamb skin, I mean, this wool glove, so that when he rubs your hand, it feels like his brother. Because that's how Isaac detected who they were. And the plan went off just like that. He came in there. He said, Daddy, Isaac knew something was wrong. Because when, he, when Jacob came in to bring him the food, he said, that is me. He said, who is that? He said, it's me, Esau, your oldest son. He said, well, it sounds like Jacob. He said, come over here closer so I can touch you. And that's when the game went. That's when the deception worked out because he reached over and grabbed his arm and he said, oh, okay, it feels like Esau. And then he said, come here, let me hug you. And guess what? Them dirty clothes worked out real good. And he leaned in and said, okay, you smell like outside. So it must be Esau. He ate the food. And when he finished eating the food, he blessed him. And he blessed him. And the scripture is so poetic how he blessed him. Basically, that everything you would do would prosper. Anybody that would curse you would be cursed themselves. All of it worked, and as soon as he finished, Jacob left, and Esau came running back in. You can hear the car pulling up in the parking lot. He comes in, gets out the car, and comes in and says, Dad, I got one. I got it. They had, I got small land real this time. I know how you like it. He goes in, and he tells them, we got a problem, because I just gave your birthright to somebody who was in here. 
That's when the deception was discovered. And Esau, when he realizes that his birthright, he, he begs him. He said, Daddy, please, do you have another birthright for me? I mean, another blessing for me. And he says to him, I only have one blessing. I've given him every single thing that I have in this world. What would I have left over for you? Esau screams. Can you imagine the, heart, the problem in that household? That this kind of deception is going on. And Esau says then and there, the next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. This ain't a problem with the children. This is a problem with the parents who are manipulating the situation to diagnose this problem means you have to go to those parents and say to them, why are you splitting these boys like this? Diagnose the problem. Some of us got problems in our house too. We do for one child what we won't do for another. For whatever reason we do it. I know, I know, just because one child get a pair of shoes don't mean both of them got to get it. I know that. I know circumstances are different just because one child goes on a field trip doesn't mean the other one we got to find something for them to do. I've been parent long enough to know that each child has their own needs. You deal with them according to the needs they have, but when you mistreat one, when you teach them wrong, that's a problem. It's a problem that manifests itself not only in your immediate house, but it manifests itself in their houses too. And so here we are now, as I keep going, for generations, Esau and Jacob were at each other. They stayed separated. Jacob had to leave home and go live with his uncle, with his wife, with Uncle Laban for 20 plus years. Stay away from his mama, everybody, because, not because he was off in the world doing well, which he was. That's not the issue. But he was staying away Watch this, because he was afraid that his brother would kill him if he saw him again. And guess what? His brother had sworn to do this. Y'all know this story? This is not ancient. Some of it is very modern because it's happening right now. Happening in folks' houses right now. One brother take another brother warm. Y'all know what I'm talking about. These issues happen and we never confront the core issue because we don't talk about the elephant in the room. But you got to diagnose that problem first. Once you diagnose that problem, once you identify what's going on with it, then you have to determine that you're going to discuss the concerns. This means you got to talk. As hard as it is, you got to talk. Somebody's got to sit down and say out loud what's in somebody's mind. Yeah, you see these articles that come out now that says such and such said on the outside was only supposed to stay on the inside. Sometimes you gotta say, I was wrong. I was wrong. You gotta confess it too. Oh, oh, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. Why didn't, why didn't Rebecca ever say to her husband, it's not in scripture, Isaac, why didn't we discuss which of the sons would get the blessing? Why wasn't that something that we could have discussed together? Why, why, why didn't she have that to say? Why, why didn't she say, you know Esau doesn't care anything about business? You know Jacob can run the household and all the affairs better. Why wasn't that a conversation that could be had? 
Why is it that one person, Isaac took it upon himself to make all the decisions? Can I tell you something? Just because you're the boss don't mean you have to. Everybody in the household has responsibilities and ability. And the person who is best at doing something should be the one to do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Part of the reason some families are doing so bad is because the one making all the decisions is so bad at making the decisions. Somebody sitting right next to them is much better at doing it, but never gets a chance to do it because somebody else declares they're in charge. And so some families have been just miserable for years because a certain person wants to be in charge. They're not in charge of anything, least of all themselves. And the household shows the negative results of it. But when you don't confront these issues, when you don't confront them, here's the courage. Can I tell you, one day there's a reckoning coming. There has to be a confrontation. Somebody's got to be courageous enough. Is it hard? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. But at some point, somebody's got to say, hey, this is wrong. Or at least just ask the question, why? Why do we do it this way? Or this has got to stop. Now, I didn't come in here, I didn't come in here for anybody to be put in danger. I simply came in here to tell you that this is affecting more than your household. They may not have the issues you have in your household, but everybody here has an issue of some type. And in order for that issue to change, somebody's got to confront the issue. Talk about the fact that this elephant is heavy. Sitting on me, is blocking me, is keeping me from doing everything that I need to do. Isaac, blind, alone, don't know who he can trust. Rebecca, cut off from Esau and Isaac by her deceit. Think about that now. Rebecca's miserable at this point in her old age. Esau ain't going to have nothing to do with her. Jacob is miles away at her brother's house. And Isaac is dead. Who does she have in her old age? Because of her deceit, she's struggling with it. Y'all want to know why the kids don't visit mama? This is why the kids don't visit mama. Because mama was manipulative. Because mama didn't take care of anybody. Because mama was looking out for mama first and not them. And you sit back with your piousness and point the finger at them and say, she don't even go see about her mama. Because you don't know what happened in that house. But at some point, somebody's got to be willing to be big enough to go in there and deal with the circumstances that have happened. At some point, you got to be willing to go and confront. Secret needs to be dealt with. And if you've been wrong, I'm going to tell you something that you got to do. You're going to be mad at me for telling you, but you got to confess. You got to tell somebody I was wrong. I'm willing to say I didn't do you right. I'm willing to say it. I may have been manipulated, but I was in it voluntarily. And I know I hurt you. And I'm ready to resolve it. Why? Because confession brings faults into the open. And it's only in the open that healing can start to take place. Healing won't take place behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm not telling you to go back and, and dig up all this stuff. Now, come on. I'm talking about relevant secrets for right now. You, you, you ain't got to go back to two generations. I ain't telling you to go back and do that because that doesn't help anybody. 
to, to go back and dredge up. I, I can't even begin to imagine the secrets that would have happened two generations ago. All right. But why do we have to delve into that if it doesn't help anybody right now? That's just talking for talking's sake or knowing something for knowing's sake. That doesn't help anybody. That's why, that's why I get a little concerned when I see some of these folks doing this ancestor.com thing. You keep looking too deep in there, you're gonna find something you don't want to know. You're gonna get on a on a circle that's gonna lead you right back to the notion that your wife is your sister. <laughs> Or at least your first cousin. You keep looking, you'll find that's some history. No, seriously, that's some history that is worth knowing, that is worth helping, that's worth dealing with. But sometimes it can bring about problems for us. Once you've made that confession, you have to be determined to change. Some people have had confessions given to them, and they still talking about, "I ain't gonna never forget it." which is simply a bench to sit on to say I'm still mad. In other words, it's too hard for me to change my life right now. My whole life has been built around the anger that I have for you. And if you take that anger away from me, I don't have anything else to hang my hat on. And so I'm just going to stay mad. Just going to stay mad at you. Why? Because that's all I know how to feel. I don't know how to feel unmad. Feeling unmad is an empty space because you have to fill that space with something. And can I tell you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have got to understand that forgiveness is part of the process. Yeah, it might not make sense to other folk, but you as a believer have got to learn how to forgive. I've given you the example time and time again that if Jesus can forgive the folk crucifying him while they're crucifying him, we have no greater example of what he expects of us because he didn't say it was going to be easy to forgive, but we have to do it. We have to do it. Some of you are mad at folk that have been dead. They can't do nothing to you now, and you're still mad at them. You've wasted a whole life being mad at them, and you have infected everybody around you with that anger you right you were a victim but now you just volunteered to stay mad and i came to tell you today it's time to deal with the elephant in the room trying to deal with the circumstances so when you start talking to folk and you start dealing with it attack the problem and not the person that's going to help you attack the problem not the person Know this, when you come to them, don't come to them so all righteous like you got it all together. Yeah, tell them, I don't know all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I'm not here to attack you. I just want to talk about it. There's love in that. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you is this, be patient. Family didn't get messed up overnight. You're not going to jump up and have whatever idyllic life you think you're supposed to have overnight. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean it's going to leave your mind. You still have to live beyond the forgiveness. Yeah, can I tell you, 
Jacob and Esau waited a long time. 20 plus years while they were away. When Jacob finally got back together with his wives and concubines, he was so afraid to meet his brother. So afraid that his brother was going to finally come and do what he had sworn to do many years before. Deborah's a beautiful scene if you read it in the Bible as he comes together. He wants to protect his family. And so he puts all his servants in front of him and they come on the hill to meet his brother because by then Esau is a mighty man who has mighty wealth and is doing well, but Jacob is equally wealthy. Isn't that amazing? The Lord told Rebecca when she was pregnant with those twins that you have two mighty nations in your womb. And here we have, you think it's only America and Russia. There are nations that war in wombs everywhere. And they come out and they fight and they waste resources that could be used for the betterment of a lot of folk. And these two mighty nations come together. Watch this now. You think this is nothing. This is the foundation of our Christian history. From these men come those folk who become the believers in Egypt. And they come together and they meet. After he has sent servants ahead, buffering him and his wives and children. And his brother Esau, after 20 years and much success, is somewhat confused. He's also brought so much wealth because he can't say I'm sorry enough. And so he brings almost half his wealth to give away to his brother. That's how sorry Jacob is for the 20 years that have ensued. Think about this now. Mama's dead. Dad is dead. Me and my brother still fight for each other. I don't have nobody else in the world. I'm supposed to have my brother, and yet we're at war because of the foolishness we did when we were younger. And I'm trying to get back together with them. Now, how much are you willing to give to get back into a relationship with your brother? And so he brings half his wealth with him. Watch this. And Esau is confused. He said, what is all this? He said, this is, I'm sorry. This is what his brother says. This is, I'm sorry. I brought all this because I want to bless you with it. And Esau said, I don't need none of that. He said, I have all my own. I don't need any of this. And Jacob said, you got to take it. My soul won't be right until you take what I'm trying to give you. This is how I'm saying I'm sorry to you. And then they came up with the, you say it all the time. You don't even know the prayer you're praying when you say it. When they got ready to leave that day. You don't know that it's because of a breakup and a makeup that you've been saying it, which is why you shouldn't be saying it. They left. And they said, may the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. That's a makeup prayer. That's a makeup prayer between two brothers who've been warring, two brothers who finally got the elephant out of the room, two brothers who now talk about it. That's what they have. And can I tell you, what a great example of forgiveness. Moving on. Have you forgiven yourself enough to ask the Lord to forgive you? Have you 
step past your wrongs enough to understand that he doesn't care about your wrongs? All he cares about is you. Are you still standing behind the boulder of your sin, peeking out at Jesus, never realizing that he's over you, looking at you, peeking? Have you? Do you know that he's simply waiting for you to have the courage to say, here am I, bless me, Lord. I believe in you. Be my Savior. He is our Savior if you believe in him. If you don't believe in him, he's just another dude that did something in history. I hate to tell you that. If you don't believe in the work he did on the cross, then salvation means nothing to you. But if you do believe in it, he's your Savior. That's good. Start with him being your Savior. If you've never accepted him today, I came to tell you that he died for you. But it's more important than just him being your savior, he also needs to be your Lord. Yeah, so he died for you and he, watch this, lives for you, which means he can guide you every day of your life. That's the gift you need to give your family and your children. That doesn't need to be a secret in your house. You shouldn't be the only one in your house who knows the power of prayer and relationship. That's what we do talk about. Yeah, ain't no secret Christians in nobody's household. Because if that's the case, then you're an ineffective believer. Tell somebody about Jesus. And I came to tell you, in this house, we believe that Jesus died for us, was resurrected for us. In this house, we believe that he lives for us and he makes intercession for us with his father. In this house, we believe that he's waiting on you to accept him as your savior. And I extend to you an invitation now to come and be a part of his household in this house. In this house, if you've never accepted him before, in this house we welcome you with open arms in this house. We're offering Christ to you this morning. And while the choir sings, the door of our church are wide open.